Welcome to the God's Good Table podcast, where you can learn all about nutrition, healthy eating and lifestyles, non-toxic healing modalities, and what the Bible has to say about all of this. So if you're interested in any of these topics, stay tuned. But I also want to tell you about an exciting event we have coming up August 12th through 14th. God's Good Table will be at Polly Face Farm near Stanton, Virginia for an exciting, encouraging, information and action-packed few days, including a bonus Sunday morning worship and fellowship time featuring Preacher Joel. You'll hear from speakers including Sally Fallon Morell, Chef Jamie Berry, Mike the Fit Farmer Dixon, Pork Rind the Pork Evangelist, Joel Salatin, of course, and myself, Maureen Diaz. Our topics include the nutritional importance of animal foods, what the Bible has to say about this, how to select and prepare these foods, and tips to get your family to eat nose to tail. The Polyface crew will be feeding us breakfast and lunch both Friday and Saturday, while we also have a special VIP dinner planned for Saturday evening. The God's Good Table crew will provide a nourishing breakfast on Sunday morning before our worship service as well. Early bird pricing ends July 13th, so go to godsgoodtable.com now to register. See you there. Hey everybody, I am here this time in West Central Tennessee. I think it's just Central. I I think we're Middle Tennessee. Yeah. Middle Tennessee. But one of my favorite places here, I love Tennessee. I've been here for the Homesteaders of America event this past weekend, and I'm staying at the Tiny House, Tennessee. Tiny Homestead, Tennessee. Tiny Homestead, Tennessee. Thank you. (laughs) It used to be a tiny house until I got a farm, and now it's Tiny Homestead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shannon owns it, and if you're ever wanting a, a fun quiet, peaceful getaway, check it out on Airbnb. We're pet friendly. Bring your pets. <laughs> we even had the goats over yesterday and the donkey walking around who woke me up during the night baying. No, it's okay. It was funny. I laughed. Blackjack. Yeah. Oh, blackjack. <laughs> so anyway, Shannon has to get over to her chickens, ducks, and goats. Yes. And uh, bring me one little taste more of goat milk before. Yes, we absolutely. It. I'll go milk the goat for you. Okay. Fresh from the udder. <laughs> or taint. I'm not sure. But anyway. Well, it's both, actually. Well, thank you. See, she's an educational source for me because I'm a new homesteader. So yeah, I love having a fabulous you job. Okay. I'm off to milk a goat. Bye, everybody. Come on, Reese. Let's go. Reese, Shannon. Yeah. And Reese, the lab, beautiful, friendly, happy guy, but he might knock over my microphone. So, and I'm here with two other homesteaders that I met over the weekend who I'm really impressed with. They are Luke Kidwell and Tommy Wheatley, and they are lifelong friends living in Southern Virginia, not so far from me. And I am impressed. They have started a new venture called Raw Milk Deadlift. I have it right? Yeah. Raw Milk and Deadlift. Raw Milk and Deadlift. So you'll have to check them out on Instagram and wherever else. I want you to give all of those credentials at the end of our talk here. But they have a passion for health and wellness, and this led them to farming, homesteading, and living more connected to nature, which, of course, I love, which is why I'm outside today, because it's a beautiful Tennessee morning with the birds singing and all of that. 
and you're enjoying that every day, right? Yeah, so they love traditional values and this whole way of life. But most important is that they feel that this way of living does bring them a closer connection to God and helps them even more to cherish his gifts and blessings, which I think is phenomenal. And it's something that I really miss about homesteading myself. So Tommy and Lou came to share their faith and spread God's word through farming, fitness outside of the gym, and living close to nature just as God intended. So welcome, guys. It's nice to see you this morning. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Awesome to be here. Yeah, well, it's awesome to have you. Homesteaders of America is one of my most favorite events, really for two reasons. One is that you meet the nicest people, and I really mean the nicest people. The people tend to pretty much across the board be conservative and Christian and obviously interested in homesteading. So I really love to be in that crowd of people. Even though I'm not currently homesteading, I am working my way back into it right now, having left the farmstead seven years ago. But you guys are just getting ramped up in this. So tell me about your journey and what brought you here. For sure, yeah. So like you said, we've been best friends since kindergarten um, and didn't grow up farming or anything at all, even though we did grow up in West Virginia. So most people have mm -hmm. um, you maybe preconceived notions that <laughs> that we're in West Virginia as a farmer. It, it gives us the street cred at the homesteading conference. Yeah, everybody. Was yeah, there you go. You're one of those from West Virginia. Exactly. It's, we're like an hour and a half outside of DC where we grew up. So, so it's kind of a, yeah. not, not what people expect, but we, we didn't grow up with any of that. What we did get into around high school was health and wellness. And it kind of started around when I was 16, I started getting really bad depression and anxiety and didn't really know what to do. And I sought out a holistic practitioner who's also a friend of mine. And he explained that it was probably candida overgrowth, which I'm sure you're very, very familiar with. Yeah. And he gave me some different ways to eat. And within changing my diet, within like a week, most of my symptoms went away. So of course, you have to tell your best friend all about it. And that's kind of when we got into organic foods, really working out. And it was just over the years, when you go down that rabbit hole, what we learned was buying organic foods at the store is awesome. And I think it's a great starting point for people. But yeah. the end goal is always going to be the cleanest thing you could probably get is to grow your own food or at least know darn well who does grow your food. So that's kind of what got us into it. And when we graduated high school, I actually came here where we are now to this farm. And then a couple of years after high school, um, you went up to Maine. So we kind of found farming at the same time. I went up to Maine to work on a farm just for the sole purpose of I was bored with school and organic farming sounded cool. I had really no idea the practical, you know, implications of organic farming. It just sounded like a fun job to be outside all day. I was like, yeah, let me give yeah. it a try. And it was a summer internship and I was only supposed to be there for three months, but I ended up staying for three years, just totally fell in love with farming. And then, yeah. you know, him being down here, then we were able, I just came back down recently and now we're both, you know, doing the whole farming thing together, which is awesome. Yep. A, a dream come true. That's really cool. Do you guys have families? Yeah. Are you, tell us so, about that. Yeah. Our family, I guess both of our families are, uh, still in West Virginia. And I know 
we, we would love to maybe try to convince them to, to, to join the homestead scene, you know, cause we actually have a lot of friends. We, we met a couple people down at the HOA event where we met you and we had some friends around here who came from urban areas and just kind of decided a lot of them in 2020, Hey, living in a city isn't the way to do it anymore. And they like moved and bought a homestead with their whole families. So, so in a way, I, I think we can be a little jealous of that because the only thing that I guess could make it better than farming with your best friend is if like you just had a big almost compound, you know, with like your family. Yeah. We've thought about that. Yeah. I've got my, I've got my family doing a herd chip for raw milk and they started their own garden. So I'm working, we're working. They're not ready to buy, you know, 50 acres in a, in a mule or anything, uh-huh. but um, <laughs> we're, we're getting going. And, and, and my dad, he would love, you know, I think to eventually kind of retire and, and do the homestead thing. But what I had to get on him about was because he, he didn't grow up farming. Uh, he was a firefighter and a general contractor, but uh, he, he keeps saying how, oh, I'd, I'd love to have a little farmette. And I was like, dad. Uh-huh. They call it homestead. <laughs> you can't go get all in a format. They're kind of running out of them. But no, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, and it's great that we're not too far from our family. So they definitely can come and visit, which is always a blast. Yeah. But no wives and kids yet. But if, not when, yet. but when it comes, you'll stay put where you are. Absolutely. And, and that's, of course, the goal is, is to find yeah. a farm where you want to raise your kids, you know, settle yeah. down. Right? And I know we're, we're both, because right now we're managing a farm. So we don't own this farm. It's a big farm. It's about 300 acres, but this has given us a tremendous kind of opportunity to like know what we're looking for when we get our own place for our families. Like you said, when we, we have our kids and we want to, you know, I'm sure we obviously both want to raise our families on the, on farms. Now it's like, we really know what we want. And what we don't, yeah. we don't want to race in suburbia. That's a fact. That's a, that's a really good way to start out, to learn. When my husband and I bought our, our property in Pennsylvania, well, we started on, in the middle of 400 acres on a rented property, which was a great start. But then we bought our farm, which was in horrible shape and rehabbed it. And anyway, it's a wonderful way to bring up kids, a wonderful way. Yeah, so so that'll be neat. Now you guys are into fitness as well, mm. and that doesn't come from a gym for you. <laughs> well, it started out in a gym. It's the uh, almost the health and wellness was almost started by fitness. You know, we just started lifting weights like every you know sixteen year old boy starts doing. Yeah, and the goal to try to be the most fit kind of turned into try to be the healthiest version of yourself. And yeah. that's really where the rabbit hole started. Mm-hmm. And and now, you know, we, we still work out, like we'll set aside time for workouts and stuff, but we're an hour and a half from anything. So it's all, you know, the closest thing we get to the gym is working out out in the fresh air with some barbells and some weights. But of course, a lot of it is carrying feed bags, you know, uh, walking yeah. out milk or water. And that definitely, I think one of the fun things for that for us is because yeah, since high school, we started lifting weights and we're, we're always into that. Now we actually have an outlet to test. Okay. How strong are you really? Because it's, it's easy yes. to gym, you know, but how, you know, how many feedbacks can you carry? How long can you do it? How many, how heavy yeah. pick up, you know, it's. And then with the two of us, it, it quickly turns into a competition for sure. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how many feedbacks can you carry at once? You know, 
I don't think, I don't know that we've ever maxed out of the <laughs> We're definitely going to try after this podcast now and we'll have to do a real, I, I, yeah, I let, let us know how that goes. I want to know. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. I used to haul the 80 pound bags of feed. I'd pick them up from our friend who grew and, and uh, formulated all of the organic and soy free feed mixtures, but 80 pound bags. And I could lift those babies from the barn to the car or the van and then back into our barn. But man, I I probably couldn't do much more than that. But mucking stalls is a great way to stay in physical shape. Yes. And I have a picture. I'll have to try to find it and add to this of Aaron and and her dad. Probably 30 years. No probably 20 years ago, unloading a, a load of hay bales into our little, at the time, I think it was just a shed. Yeah. So she's done that too. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and hay, especially like hauling square bales, that's a yeah. tremendous workout. And, and it's, yeah. it's funny because it's, you know, if anyone who's ever done it, especially if you're like getting up hay, that's a long, that's like a marathon workout. It's not like you just pick up yep. a couple heavy things. Yeah. It's all day and it's hot because the nature of getting up hay it has to you know usually be pretty hot weather so it's dry so it's like yeah. you can't get away from out there in the sun you know and yeah awesome and we really think that every young person should experience bailing square bales of hay at some point in their life because it's just a character builder you know yeah it is you have to, it builds endurance stamina perseverance because yep. yeah, I know it's really, really hard work and hot and dusty and filthy. Um, trying to remember from one of my favorite books, it'll come to me later, Russia, when they were using sickles to harvest the hay and then it had to dry in the field. They'd by hand, they'd put it in furrows and then they'd go back and they'd collect it and pitch it onto the wagon. Mm-hmm. And then haul that into the barn and pitch that into the hay mow. And Little Britches series also, father and I were ranchers and man of the family. It, it, it talks about that and what tremendously hard work it was. But those people were fed. It was a women's okay. job to yep. prepare massive feasts. And they'd bring them out at, at lunchtime along with their haymakers water made yeah. with oats and spring water and honey. Because I'll add, to the, uh, I'll add to the hay experience that you should, every young person should experience that building hay and then jumping in the creek afterwards. Yeah, and, and right. That, yeah. The well-deserved yeah. creek dip is uh, it's magical. <laughs> Very well-deserved after all of that. Yeah. Sure. So uh, talk a little bit about your feelings on what kinds of foods are good for our bodies, what you've discovered. Let's talk about raw milk and what you've learned about that. And and Luke, I'm curious about the herd share that your family has bought into because I'm in that area and probably one that I know, but I don't, I think you may have told me. Yeah. So if we get the herd share, it's actually... In Virginia, but West Virginia has the same laws. The farm is in yeah. uh, Virginia. Small little farm outside of Berryville, Virginia. I don't know if you ever heard of it up there. Yeah, that's right. You told me that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful little spot. And and then, it, yeah, as far as yep. what, what foods are healthy, you know, I think the foods that have been around since the beginning of time that God created, right? Yeah. And of course, 
I mean, that's just the foundation for a perfect diet. So like raw milk. And of course, the Bible mentions milk many times. Does it call it raw milk? <laughs> because because it was just always wrong. Exactly. You know, they didn't have to deal with that. But milk is mentioned often. Meat yeah. is mentioned often. Honey yeah. is mentioned often. And one of the fascinating things about that is these whole foods that God made, that God put on earth, these are the most vilified foods in today's mm -hmm. day and age, right? Like the three foods I just listed, there's a lot more examples, but say just those three, because there's also very biblical foods. They are, they're extremely vilified. Now they're yeah. pushing fake meat, fake milk, and stay away from honey because you know, it has sugar in it. Sugar is going to make you fat. Oh, but have this artificial sweetener in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, with and, neurotoxins. Yeah. Exactly. And, you, you know, there, a verse even that, you know, I, I wrote down because I remember when we met, you had talked about, we, we had touched on how there's different Bible verses and things like that, that relate to this. So yeah. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, where it pretty much it talks about how, hey, in these later times, there's going to be a lot of people who go astray from God. And it says that they're going to be led by deceitful spirits and demons. And they're going to teach things that are led, that, that are coming from demons. And one yeah. of the very clear points it makes, I mean, it's a lot of fascinating ones, but it's that they're going to prohibit and tell you not to get married, which obviously we know traditional marriages, traditional families, that's under attack, right? Yeah. God forbid. Um, yeah a man and woman get married anymore that's like offensive somehow and yeah. then and then it says that they're gonna warn you they're gonna try to convince you to not eat certain foods that god has designed to be eaten with thanksgiving and it goes right. on to say how you know god made all these things for those who believe and to be received with thanks and i think that's why we tell people hey be super wary of any expert or trend or diet that is vilifying, excuse me, vilifying these whole foods that have been around since the beginning of time. And I, I think it's like, it seems like an innocent thing, like, oh, I'm vegan. And we don't have anything against vegans, but it seems like an innocent thing, but you are quite literally playing into the hands of what it's warning us against, right? Yeah. Falling into these false narratives that are, they're deceitful. So I think that's kind of the, the main thing, you know, if, if you have anything to add. It, diet, food, everything like that. Man is the one that made it really, really complicated. Mm -hmm. God made it quite yeah. simple. Like whole yeah. foods. If you can just, and it was pretty recently, uh, man made it pretty complicated. Because yeah. if you asked your great, great, let's say great, great, great grandfather what, what their diet was, he'd yeah. look at you like crazy and say, I don't know, whatever grows this time of year is what I'm right. eating. Right. But now, you know, especially people who have been eating, say, the standard American diet, for a long time, you know, like um, family members, my parents trying to talk to them. And it seems like you're weaving through all of these trapper cones, loops, trying to, you know, what's this mean? What's that mean? And man is the one that made all yeah. those labels and, and, and right. new food groups, just creating, you know, you know, new food groups, like the baked meat stuff, mm -hmm. trying to navigate all that. And it's painful where it should be so simple. And it is simple once you realize, oh, I'm just supposed to be eating foods that God created. Mm-hmm. Right. By the way, Anna Karenina was the was the novel that I was referring to, and I and I, it's a fantastic novel anyway, and a fantastic look at human nature and societal structures and all of that. But but that is one of many books, along with a little Britches series, and 
Not so much Little House on the Prairie because they were eating and preferring white flour and sugar. But the traditional foods, yeah, I mean, I caught that early on, but the rich is, was different. But people have really convoluted it. And then you read some of those old novels and you read the Bible and you see all of these references to these health-giving, natural, whole foods that, as, as you said, Tommy, are vilified now. And they, they shouldn't be, and we're trying to correct that. But of course, you're familiar with the work of Dr. Price, and he Works. he went around and he studied these cultures. Most cultures milked some kind of animal. Not all, but most. And they made butter, they made yogurt, kefir, and they drank it raw. Yep. And it was good. Mm-hmm. It was good. And God calls it good. Yeah. Heaven's fed the fed their heavenly visitors curds and whey, veal. And sourdough bread, you know? Yeah. And that, that's a great point that the most nourishing foods on the planet are oftentimes the most delicious. And that goes so against what we're taught. And it, it blows our mind sometimes because, you know, we're in this maybe little niche, right? With, with very like-minded people like you and people who follow Weston A. Price's work. We forget that still the mainstream narrative to a lot of people is that healthy foods taste like cardboard. Healthy foods yeah. grow Healthy food oh, always yeah. hungry. It's like, no, bacon can be a superfood if it comes from the right place, you know? So that that's just such a mind, because it's no wonder why people ha- have this skewed perception of, I don't want to eat healthy, that's a drag. Look, iceberg lettuce and, and algae is what most people think of as healthy, right? Yeah, and granola. <laughs> you know, I, I look like at Costco, I, I buy some things at Costco because I feed a lot of people. I yeah. buy a lot of stuff locally. And of course, we used to produce most of our food, but I'm not in that situation now. But I go to Costco. My kids do want granola and I make it sometimes. I look at the granola, the healthy organic granola that they have on the shelves. And the second ingredient is soybean oil. Mm -hmm. And then sugar. So what if it's organic? Right, right. You really got to read. So I don't buy it Mm -hmm. because soybean oil should never be consumed by human beings. We should be eating butter and ghee and lard and, right, all of those things. Yeah, but they've all been vilified. But I love your point about good food, natural food, whole food being delicious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what's so also great about West A. Price's work is because if, if you read a lot of their stuff, it's not... Most diets, I feel like if you know what to look for, you can see how it's pretty much a marketing ploy. It has big, bold letters. Don't eat this. This is bad for you. Most of what West City Price is teaching you is what to eat. It's super simple. It's super perfect. And then it's just in a kind of matter of fact elegance, like, hey, these are what started to happen to cultures that started to introduce lots of white flour, sugar, you know, seed oils, right? Yeah. But it's, it's not this loud look at me, I have this new view. It's like just so simple. And that's probably why, you know, it it doesn't get the attention it truly deserves compared to like these Netflix documentaries about going plant-based because those are just more captivating when, you know, you can just shout misinformation from the rooftops. It's all marketing. People will, will buy into it. Even though every part of our body is clearly designed to eat everything, an omnivorous diet. Right. People totally miss that. Why do we have canines? Why does our gut, it's a single chambered gut, 
like a pig, right? Yeah. <laughs> Made to digest both plant and animal uh, proteins and break it into nutrients, but we can't digest fiber. We can't right. digest the plant fibers that animals can do. Mm-hmm. And we're not capable of efficiently processing carotenes into vitamin A, but mm-hmm. ruminant animals are. So, right. yeah. What do you say to people when they say, talking about raw milk? Oh, milk is only for baby animals. It's not meant for humans. And I hear that all the time and, and I have a standard answer, but I want to know what you, what you guys think about that. Well, we, we heard a, a great quote about kind of this topic one time, which is how can you prove a zebra is made for a lion? Obviously it's part of its diet, but, but where there's not a tag on a zebra that says, Hey, this is for a lion tea or a gazelle, you know? So we just say nature is made for itself. Food, yeah. you know, God made it as this beautifully woven ecosystem to thrive on itself. There's no such thing as in nature. It's not like there's this is for cows. This is for birds. This is for, everything thrives on itself. And human history has proven, like you said, how so many traditional cultures have consumed dairy. Yeah. That's your proof. Because when people yeah, always consumed it. Exactly. And when you see, yeah. when you see, you know, milk is a superfood. When you see all the vitamins, nutrients, and enzymes that are in it, why yeah. would God put that there so easily available for us, but we're supposed to ignore it? You yeah. know, just because I right. know that's for the cow. Right. And, and yeah. the only reason that, because like the, a similar topic that you brought up is milk is only for cows. Oh, and humans are the only species that consume milk after infancy. Well, humans are the only species that do a lot of things. We're the only species yeah, that- exactly. We're the only that, ones that build houses. We're the only ones that drive cars because God gave us the brain and right. the hands mm-hmm. and the physique to be able to do these things. It's not because yeah. it wasn't meant for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and milk a cow or a goat and the, and the, the, um, the kitty cats and the puppy dogs are out there wanting theirs too. <laughs> if, if they could, they would, right? They could be exactly. People. That's, that's my point. Yeah. We're, we really less the ability to do it, but, and it's not like we have to hold down our cow every morning and, you know, lock her up and hold her in the headlock just to milk her. She stands by the barn door every single morning. She's you waiting, wanting yeah. to come. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we have to clap her to get her out because she doesn't want to leave. You know? So it's like, and, and that's because that's another narrative is people literally say, and, and we've gotten some comments and stuff from them before, uh, apparently people literally think um, milking a cow, they, they call it like rape. And they're like, you're yeah. this. Oh, gosh. You have, you've probably seen a couple Netflix documentaries of these massive farms, which of course we're not defending any of those at all. Right. You have never stepped foot on a small scale farm or small scale room said, yeah, the, the, the milking stall, like Luke just said, our cow's name is Gertrude that we're milking right now. It's her favorite place to be. Gertrude doesn't want to be anywhere else. You know, she, if we're late for milking, she's screaming at us. She looks <laughs> so it's just that disconnection. Pete, it's so easy to come yeah. up with lies and distorted perceptions when you're a million miles away from it. Right. And you've never actually right. interfaced with it. People are writing these comments probably from a high rise apartment in the concrete jungle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Having no real understanding of what a small, sustainable, regenerative farm is and how farmers such as yourselves actually enjoy and revere the animals. And I used to enjoy having conversations with my cow, whichever one it was at the time, nestling in the winter, nestling in so I'm nice and warm against her. And 
It was my time to think and pray, but we'd have conversations one way, maybe, but you know, she's listening. <laughs> They're great listeners. They're great listeners. <laughs> They're great listeners. I also have have oftentimes thought that even in in the earliest times of Adam and Eve, for instance, Abel was keeping sheep and goats. What were they for? Yeah, right. Maybe they weren't eating meat, but they probably were consuming milk. They were probably making cheese and butter. And I don't think they were consuming, you know, soybean oil. If that, probably not, yeah. Definitely not that. <laughs> Which our listeners need to understand that soy milk and soy in general is not a traditional food. The only traditional soy-based foods are very, very well fermented, like a year or four years. Soy in itself can be very upsetting to the gastrointestinal tract, which is why so many babies fed soy milk, especially preemies in hospitals, end up with a lot of gut damage. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I remember, yeah, take a slight grain of salt because I heard it a few times a number of years ago, but something along the lines of the average I think a baby that's breastfed versus one that's fed on formula right away, mm -hmm. I want to say they have like, it's like thousands of times more estrogen in their body from a baby that's breastfed. I don't want to throw a specific number out there. Yeah. And the soy milk in particular. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like consuming a pack of birth control pills every week for so an infant. Terrifying. Yeah. So terrifying. And and about soy, we were talking this morning in the milking stall that if a 1700 farmer came back to life now, probably confused, Luke made the point that they have all this land. It's like, oh man, where do you farm? Corn yeah. and soy. They probably wouldn't even, a lot of them probably wouldn't even know what soy is. They'd be right. like, wow, corn really made it. <laughs> like, yeah, well, you have, you have yeah. $3 million in tractors and you raise corn. Yeah. <laughs> the whole infrastructure, the big barns and, and, yeah, you have to plant, maintain, spray, 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 and then harvest all of that. And then you have to store it and then feed it every day to the animals instead of letting animals go out and graze and harvest their own. And, you know, you don't have to plant. And there's, yeah. there's some of the people we met at the Homesteaders Conference this weekend. Some people have, you know, one to five acres, maybe. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, what do you I'm like? Oh, pigs, chickens, turkeys, dogs. So I've got a garden. And they have all these different things, you know, 25 more things than someone has on the thousand acre corn farm. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of those places are the one to five acre homesteads are thriving, healthy ecosystems. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, they are. And that's really interesting. I've seen, I've seen people with as little as a quarter of an acre in downtown LA produce not only enough food, honey, chicken, milk, eggs vegetables, herbs for their own family, but enough on a quarter of an acre in the city that they have a thriving business selling to restaurants and the public. You can I do a heck of a lot. Between the rooftop gardens in cities and all the abandoned lots, if they turn those into, you know, chicken coops or whatever, I think yeah. it could, most city, cities could totally feed themselves yeah. without having to ship in all the stuff from outside. Now they're not going to be able to eat, you know, pizza and coca-cola right but you know meat milk and eggs i think you know is, mu is a much better alternative mm -hmm. oh yeah but uh, they want to ship in stuff from you know new york city was to ship in stuff from california yep yeah. soy soy and almonds from california to feed them 
Yeah. And yeah. and we were talking about that just yesterday with a friend of ours who's about 20 minutes away, has a home, uh, a farm, not a homestead, he has a production farm, but all sustainable. And we were talking about how even like these big scale organic farms, uh, especially say like the big scale organic farms that grow a lot of grain for organic mm. feed, some of them, you know, I mean, it's, it's definitely still not perfect. There are definitely a lot of the ones that maybe are just non-GMO. Of course, not all of them, but we're talking about how some of them will still spread glyphosate, you know, periodically every few years. Yeah. But it's like it's sold and marketed as health food. And we got into the conversation of he asked, like, do you think there's really a way to do this big scale farming clean? And we're like, well, the answer is probably like, we need to stop doing this huge scale farming. And yeah, communities... Need, because there's definitely ways to do smaller scale farms and more local based farms very clean. Yeah. And I think that's where the breakdown is. You probably are going to keep running into a dead end if you're trying to feed the whole world from the two farms, because it's also not a biblical concept either, right? The Bible's all about community right. and, you know, knowing your neighbor and loving your neighbor. And I mean, eating is a spiritual act, right? Going back to the verse we yeah. earlier. It's God made these foods to be received with Thanksgiving. Well, that's a, that's a spiritual act. And, and to completely be cut off from the source, that's not, to, to us, it doesn't seem like a biblical concept. And I think every person, every Christian would agree when, when you have that experience of getting your food, you know, from local farmers or growing it, you can feel that it's a lot more than a physical thing going on, right? It yeah. like feeds your soul. So yeah, I believe that's the answer is, is communities really need to get back to feeding themselves. Um, and I mean, Lord knows there's enough room to do it. And especially with regenerative agriculture, a lot of land that is seen as unfarmable actually could be farmable. Like yeah. the sacred cow documentary where essentially turned like a lot of that desert into pasture. Most people don't you know. Alan Savory and the Savory Institute, they go around the world teaching teaching people how to reclaim desertified land and make, and we did that on our farm too. It wasn't desertified, but it had been monocropped and very heavily sprayed for decades. And of course I wasn't thrilled about having the residue from the spray, but in two or three years, we regenerated that soil using principles. I didn't know about Alan Savory, but I was learning reading books and yeah. yeah. And in a few years we had black, loose, wonderful, rich soil. And it didn't cost us anything. You know, it wasn't like we were doing something that required any input. God put in place principles that if we just pay attention to them, not only can our bodies be healthy, but that starts with healthy soil, healthy land, healthy animals. And so that's very doable. That's probably the biggest disconnect that we see with a lot of Christian community, a lot of churches is food, you know, they'll, we'll have, I, I went to a church service not too long ago and we're there, everyone's praying, it's a great time, you know, honoring God. And then there's a cookout afterwards with hot dogs from Walmart. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. they come back to the Bible verses earlier, the, a real big one that Salton talks about in that marvelous bigness of pigs. Yes. The, yeah. the Corinthians 10 31. That was, that one really stood out to me in that book. Whereas, you know, and everything you do, whether it's eating or, or drinking, whatever it is, do all to the glory of God. And yep. I mean, I was at this cookout. I didn't eat, eat any of the hot dogs, but I was talking to some yeah. folks. Like, man, if they just traced back that hot dog to its origin, did that pig, was that pig raised honoring God in mm-hmm. any way whatsoever? You know? And it wasn't. It's no, no. It's awful. 
at every level, including the humaneness or lack thereof of rearing that pig. Yep. But of course, what it's fed, how it's housed, how it lives its entire life, like even birthing in, I don't remember what they're called, but you know, they're it's like- Carrying dolls. Eight weeks that they're raising the pig, it's, it's, they're facing one direction, can barely lay down. Yeah. Yep. And then they're being fed genetically modified, heavily sprayed soybeans and corn. Yep. Right. And that all gets into us when we eat it. No yeah. wonder way, we are so sick. Yeah. Right. And, uh, Shout points out perfectly. God created these animals to exist a certain way. And most conventional farmers, it's a, they're fighting an uphill battle. They're fighting against the very yeah. nature of the animals they're producing. Yep. And that's why I love Joel so much where he's like, look, this is the most Christian way you can raise these animals. It's just let them be those animals, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. And for people who want us not to eat animals or use animals in any way, shape or form for food, I ask. And what is to become of these animals when we just open the gates and let them go? Yeah, sure. That's inhumane. Right. You know? yeah. and, uh, and, and like the fact that there's no such thing as a, as a death-free foods. In order for the real life, there has to be death, including growing plants. Like you yeah. said, if you get at these people who don't want to eat meat, tons of animals died for them to grow those crops, right? Yeah. Whether it be moles, weasels, rabbits, uh, birds, insects, right? And of course, even the yeah. insects, well, because they like to get into the topic of sentient beings and how can you, how can you say one life is worth more than another? Well, then that must apply to insects too. And there's not yeah. like any plant uh, production grown, you know, on a farm, even like the organic ones, like people still will use different things to get rid of insects, you know? And yeah. so- but but that that's a perception that I think people only have when they're really removed from it. That yeah, that, that that there's no such thing. Like I remember I heard a lady not long ago. She's a natural doctor, and she was talking about yeah, I don't like to eat animals because you know eating a carcass it's like death, and and why would I ingest death? And it's like well, you are you're ingesting in order for you to ingest life, there has to have been death in the process. That's the circle yeah. of life. That's how God created it. So then and now it gets into the thing of even without all the health benefits of animal foods, you tell me what's more, you know, ethical, right? To have it at an arm's length and pretend that you're not killing anything or to actually honor the gift that God has given you, which is this animal and to use it for the highest good and let it to nourish you instead of pretending yeah. that there's no death going on is, is silly. You know? There's massive death, even to grow those crops of primarily soybean and corn. Yep. Your annihilating nature yep. to plant vast acres of those things. You're getting, uh, you're demolishing riparian areas and woods and meadows in order to plant your crop. And then you're spraying it with a non-organic fertilizer and with chemicals to kill all of the plants that you don't want. So you're killing the pollinators, you're killing the birds, as you said, you're killing the the bunnies and all of that, and you're making it impossible for those animals and insects to come back because they can't live there. You've just driven them out. You've killed them with poisons, and there's no place for them to go and regenerate. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, let's think on that. Right. It doesn't make sense. And of course, in nature, you watch the lions and the tigers and the bears, and they're they're carnivorous animals. Yes. Bears, can, most bears are omnivores, but some are are carnivores. You know, and the means by which they capture and kill their prey is. Yeah. You want to talk about humane? How about terrified? Right. You know? <laughs> A lot of times they're still alive when they're eating it. Yeah, being eaten. And I love to watch nature shows, but that's hard for me to watch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think if a lot of people track down their food from its origin, it'd be hard to watch that whole story. Sure. You know? Yeah, like a slaughterhouse. Yeah. If, if you are eating meat, right? the slaughterhouses, yep. they're worse than watching a, a lion capture a gazelle. Yeah, but it's you know what's funny? Yes. If you raise your own animals, most of the time you do see that origin you were there for it right and it, and it's, right. Not, it's not terrifying you know it's it's, it's no. beautiful and and there's even so around where we are it's beef country primarily yeah so there's a lot of cows the sustainable agriculture movement isn't huge in our area it's, it's a lot of yet 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 yeah so yeah good uh, good point a lot of you know c- conventional guys um not like feed huge like feedlots or anything like that but you know cows are all vaccinated almost definitely, you know, spray around their property, all this stuff. But what we just like kind of recently got in the discussion of, so cows like this, that are, are e- e- even if, you know, they're shot up with vaccines and stuff like that, and yeah. probably surrounded by glyphosate, still, you would say they probably have like a decent quality of life just because they're out in the pastures all the time. But a lot of these cows, when they ship them off and sell them, they're not killing them and selling them direct to the consumer. These cows, a lot of them are getting sent to bigger feedlots, you know, maybe yeah. Texas or wherever. And that was something that kind of recently came to our attention. It was like, yeah, wow. You know, because there's cows right across the street from us. Like we can see them from our front window that our neighbor owns. And he's a pretty big time beef farmer. And we just always assumed, you know, he probably does this. Maybe he has them on pasture so he can sell them as grass fed. Then he probably mm-hmm. grain finishes them and sells them to, the, you know, whatever stores. But yeah. I don't think that's the case. I think most cows from around here get sent to feedlots. Um, which and and they can actually be marketed as grass-fed, and people think yep. that that's a good thing. It's insane. Which is evil. Yeah. Uh, that's right. nothing yeah. You know, It's just a marketing ploy. Yeah. For sure. It's also because all cows are grass-fed. For sure. They don't, you know, but they're also fed soybeans and corn. And exactly. that nice marbling that people think is great for their steak is a product of genetically modified, heavily sprayed um, corn and soybean production throughout their life cycle, in addition to the grass that they have to have, right. hay or actual grass. So grass-fed, you know, that's knowing labels. Grass-fed doesn't actually mean anything any more than organic. Right. Yeah, unfortunately. And, and it's also like a sad thing, too, because, you know, these cows are are smart. They're intelligent. They're aware that they spent a lot of their life on pastures that they probably enjoyed, and they're aware yeah. that they're going through essentially a bovine holocaust. And it's no yeah. like exaggeration. And that that's said too, because yeah, you know, I think one of the the things that a lot of smaller or sustainable farms kind of pride themselves on is that their animal has a good quality of life pretty much right up until the end. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, it also just makes you feel better that, you know, hey, like literally right up until this thing passed, 
it it was it was happy you know it had a good yeah. not the last month or couple months whatever in this like their shoulder to shoulder you know standing in huge piles of their own feces and i mean that oh, that's heartbreaking man. yeah yeah that's horrible i grew up in wisconsin and that was based on a lot of farms and the most unfortunate part i think is a lot of these guys around here that are selling their you know that raise their beef outside and then sell to the uh feedlot a lot of them are just good southern christian people yep you know and they they just are missing that that bridge of you know their faith and their food and Mm -hmm. and their land yeah yeah i think when it comes to food and health from a christian perspective i i look at food as involving faith Mm -hmm. and freedom freedom to do things the right way and, and to make your choices and not to be bound into this system that is so expensive and so toxic and so unhealthy for everything involved in the process. So for me, health and food is all part of my faith as yeah. it is yours. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some things that you guys are raising where you are? So obviously your cow. Yeah, obviously we, we, we've got um, the cows. We also have a few steers that probably by next winter will be harvested for meat. We've got some pigs, some cune cunes and Magdalisa heritage breed. Uh, we've got uh, chickens. We've got turkeys and rabbits. Now, like I said, we don't own the farm. We manage it. Because I'm yeah. not, I don't know, but we have tur- uh, rabbits and turkeys. Because <laughs> all the turkeys are pretty mean, yeah. but... Fine. And then some goats that are pretty much just for characters on the farm to walk around. They're they're pets now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're so much fun to watch. They're hilarious. And then, yeah, other than that, that's pretty much what we're raising. We have a couple gardens that you know we usually plant in with some grow boxes, and then just a, a lot of noisy dogs that run around and keep all that stuff safe. Yeah. What kind of dogs? Uh, are they- one. Yep, one great period. Yeah, um, one half great period have border collie, oh. one half great period have trailer mutt, um, <laughs> and two Swiss mountain dogs. And we and we had we we just the one period who's half period half uh, mutt. She just had puppies, and and the father was a purebred great period. So. If you know anyone or if anyone out there is listening, we're, we're looking for homes for these 75% Pyrenees dogs. So, uh, yeah, we're going to find this, but <laughs> I'm actually tempted that I want one that doesn't shed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Probably they would. Cause I'm thinking mom and dad both shedded. So I don't know. If it's yeah, I, I know we had, we had a couple of great Pyrenees on the farm. I love them. They're the sweetest, most loyal dogs, but, but they shed. They do. Yeah. They shed and bark. They bark a yeah. lot, especially at night, which is just what they <laughs> did. Probably. Yeah. Well, but they're doing their job. Absolutely. Yep. I think it's really cool, too, how God built into animals certain instincts. And even with with hybridizing, so to speak, dogs and cats, but dogs in particular, you mm-hmm. can come up with character traits that are instilled in them, and you can kind of concentrate that instinct like you do in a great Pyrenees, they are excellent guardians, excellent guardians. And, you know, I have stories I could tell, I won't now, but really cool things with ours, but the best of dogs. It's so cool. And, and yeah, like how they instinctively know we didn't train ours at all. And 
they instinctively know I want to go out at nighttime. They instinctively know the perimeters of where they are. We have a lot of coyotes by us. Um, yeah. never once had a coyote kill anything since we've had the dogs. I mean, we hear them. Like if we're at the front of the property in the house that we're sitting at right now, the front road is just kind of right out in front of us. At night, it'll sound like the coyotes are right outside of your but pretty much like the Pyrenees and the coyotes almost have this agreement. Like, don't cross this line. I mean, and I'm positive if it wasn't for the Pyrenees, we would have had major losses. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's all instinctual, you know? He knows, like, hey, this is my territory. Don't cross it. And that's, like, so cool. I looked out my front door one morning on the farm in Pennsylvania, and our great Pyrenees was playing across that line with a fox. Tails wagging. Hopping back and forth, both of them just like really happy and exuberant, playing with each other, but neither would cross that line. That that was a lot of fun to watch. You're respecting nature, and instead of calling nature God, you're understanding that nature is from God. All good gifts come from above, and certainly that includes our health and our food, and you guys are on to it. And I'm really excited to see where you guys go. I hope I see you at Polyface. Definitely. Um, yep. Yeah, you'll have to be in touch with me because I'll work something out for you. But I just want to honor and respect God and all that he's done and given to us yep. and use that. I want to teach others just like you guys. I'm always excited to meet more Christian, like-minded people and I'm just excited for where you guys are going and, and how you'll be able to help people. And at some point in time, hopefully bring wives and children onto the farm, be it there or somewhere else. But it's really cool. Do you guys have any closing thoughts? Um, any well, like to say, thanks uh, to the Fit Farmer, Mike, for interesting us. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. You know. Christian guy, you know, awesome. Him and his wife, they're awesome people. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are. Yeah, and and definitely right on the same page. I feel super blessed to have met you. And yeah, like, you know, always goes back to community. And I think that building tribes and just getting a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger each time in each event than all those things. Yeah. But yeah, we're definitely looking forward to that uh, three-day event at Polyface that you told us about. And um, plan on it being the first of many events that we get to get to bump into you. Yeah, well, I'm certainly going to invite you to my next one also, which will probably be West Virginia. But how do people contact you or find you? So we were primarily, as far as online, primarily we're most active on Instagram, which is just at raw milk and deadlifts, all one word. And then also rawmilkanddeadlifts.com if you want to see some of our products or merchandise or get a hold of us via email that is on deadlifts.com very good thank you it's been wonderful and everybody else i'm going to remind you about our polyface farm event nose to tail nutrition june 11th and 12th on the 12th sunday we're going to have a worship service with uh, preacher joel and the worship team from my church, which includes me, and hopefully I won't be hoarse by then. Need to get some sleep and get over a cold. But we are going to have a fellowship meal, Lord's Supper even. And then we're going to carry on both Saturday and Sunday with lots of speakers, including Sally Fallon Morell, Mike Dixon, the Fit Farmer, Chef James Berry, 
myself and maybe squeezing one other person in there, but it'll be a really cool event and I'm looking forward to it. Our link should be live this week so everyone can look for that. And you guys, I look forward to seeing you then the next time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right. Thank been you. great. Have a good day, everyone. Today's episode of the God's Good Table podcast is brought to you by Simply Ghee. Simply Ghee is my go-to fat in my kitchen. I use it every single day for everything from frying eggs and sauteing vegetables to making cakes and cookies and things like that. It comes in the original formula and the A2A2 variety. Simply Ghee provides the delicious intense butter flavor that we all love but without any of the tummy-bothering lactose that is in just butter. It is made from the grass-fed butter of a herd of cattle in the pristine Pennsylvania Dutch country. So you know that it is safe, delicious, and full of good nutrition. Simply Ghee also now has a variety of spice mixes that you can mix into your ghee. This happens to be my favorite. It's the black garlic. I used this just yesterday on my cheeseburger and steamed vegetables. It's really, really good, and you can mix it in in whatever concentration you desire, but about a teaspoon per cup is usually enough. It also comes in sriracha, heirloom salt and pepper, turmeric and black pepper, and maple cinnamon varieties. So with the ghee and the spices, you can mix it up and create flavor sensations in your kitchen for your family to enjoy. And while we're at it, we can kick it up another notch with Eat Pluck. Pluck seasoning is an organ-based seasoning from grass-fed, clean New Zealand cattle. It's delicious, it's nutritious, and it removes that yuck factor when you're trying to introduce organ meats to your family with all of the benefits that they provide. So I encourage you to give Simply Ghee a try and their new spice mixes and pluck as well. And if you use the promo code HEALTH, you'll receive 10% off your order at the Simply Ghee website. Thanks, relax, and enjoy the podcast.